morning. Good morning. I'm so glad that you're here today. If we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor uh, of Faith Discovery Church, and it's an honor that you would choose to spend a little bit of your Sunday morning with us. We're going to have a great day. I'm really excited to be here today. So if you're not really awake yet, I'm awake enough for all of us. But uh, before we do that, I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to read from God's Word a little bit, and we're going to declare our faith through the Apostles' Creed. Uh, But let's, uh, let's listen in as I read from Psalm 15. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent, who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, the one who does what is righteous, who speaks truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person, but honor the, honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts, and does not change their mind, who lends money to the poor without interest and does not accept a bribe against the innocent. Whoever does these things will never be shaken. Uh, would you stand or would you declare this with me? And, and uh, I'm going to be loud. I told you I got a lot of energy today. I'm really excited to be back. But I encourage you to declare this with me. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, the maker of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to the dead. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From there he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, in Christ's universal church, the communion of all believers, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Scripture tells us that the Lord, it tells us that he inhabits or he dwells in the praises of his people. So we're going to take a few moments now and sing in worship and praise to invite his presence to be here with us. Would you sing with us as as we worship?
are going to take a few moments this morning and pray. If you have a need, you can fill out the prayer card if you're more comfortable. If you are online and you want to put in the chat or email us, we would love to pray with you. Um, So we're just going to take a moment and pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord. We thank you for this morning. We thank you for the privilege of being able to come together and worship you. God, you are our Lord, our creator, and our king. You are the Lord who opened a way through the waters, making a dry path through the sea. You called forth the mighty army of Egypt with all its chariots and horses, and you drew them beneath the waves, saving your people. And yet you say, forget all that. It's nothing compared to what I am going to do, for I am about to do something new. See, I have already begun. Do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland. God, I pray that your spirit would move here in this place today, in the lives of the people here. Lord, some need a pathway through the wilderness right now, and some need rivers in their dry wasteland. Some need revival in their hearts and their homes, healing in our bodies and in our minds. Lord God, we need freedom from addictions and fears. We need provision in our finances, in our families. And God, we come to you and we believe you for all these things. Help us to trust you when we don't see. Help us to trust you and rejoice in you when we are in the dry land, when there is no fruit on the vine. Help our faith in you to grow and forgive us for our sins and when we put things above you. Help us wait on you when we are impatient for you to move and give us strength. Lord, for those here who are disappointed and heartbroken and weary, Lord God, we turn our eyes to you and we just ask that you would move in this place. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We, before we move on with the rest of our service this morning, we have a, a special, wonderful uh, element of our service today. It's actually the first time we've done this since we lived here and since we've been your pastors, but we have the honor and the privilege and the uh, joy to be able to dedicate some children to the Lord today. And um, child dedication is a thing we do in our in our church and and in our movement. And some of you may have grown up in Catholic or in traditions where uh, babies are, are baptized uh, or sprinkled. And, and this is uh, a little bit like that, only a little bit different. We believe that baptism is a part of someone's life that they get to choose to be baptized. And so you've seen us just, just a couple weeks ago, we, we baptized uh, some, some children, some adults, uh, but these were people who came to the waters of baptism of their own volition of their of their choice and they said that my de- my decision to be baptized is a opportunity for me to tell the world that I am a Christian and, but we see in scripture particularly exampled in the Old Testament in the life of Samuel that Samuel's mother Hannah uh, prayed for a child 
Uh, and, and I understand, and we understand, that that is the experience of so many people in our world today who, uh, through infertility and those kind of struggles, pray for a child. And, and so Hannah, uh, her prayers are heard, and God answers them, and she's uh, given a son, and that son, his name is Samuel, and she takes that son uh, to the temple, and she offers her son back to the Lord in, in a way of dedicating his life to God's as a way of gratefulness. And so that's the example that we follow. Now, they, the families that come today will not leave their children with us. We can, we can all be thankful. Uh, they, their children can be thankful. Uh, but we, we have an opportunity uh, to invite a couple of families down. So would you welcome me as we invite uh, our families who are dedicating their children to, uh, to down here to the front this morning? Would you give it, welcome them as they come? Um, we're going to, as you as they come and as you... Um, as you watch, we're going to ask them a series of questions and a series, and they're going to commit to those things by, uh, what's that? What's that? No, they'll, they'll say that we're going to go down there in just a second. Um, we're still working this out here. Um, but, uh, and so we have, uh, Elia and Ivana, um, uh, Rosario, and we have Micah Epps this morning who are, who are coming. And so we're, I'm going to ask their moms some questions and their moms are going to, uh, affirm uh, these questions and Joy and I will ask them. And then we're going to turn and we're going to ask you a question. We're going to ask that you would commit to pray for the lives of these children as they grow. And uh, when, when we ask you, we would ask that you would say, we do. We, we commit to do that. And then we'll offer a dedication. So now everybody's on the same page. But um, uh, so first, my question is, um, moms, as I ask, do you recognize these children as gifts from God and give heartfelt thanks for God's blessing? Do you now dedicate your children to the Lord who gave them to you all, surrendering all worldly claims upon their lives in the hope that they will long wholly to God? Do you pledge as parents that with God's help, you will bring up your children in the discipline and instruction of the Lord, making every reasonable effort with patience and love. That's a really hard one, by the way. To build the word of God, the character of Christ, and the joy of the Lord into their lives. Do you promise to provide through God's blessing for the physical, emotional, intellectual, and spiritual needs of your children? Looking to your own heavenly Father for the wisdom, love, and strength to serve them and not use them? Do you promise, God helping you, to make it your regular prayer that by God's grace your children will come to trust in Jesus for, their, for the forgiveness of their sins and fulfillment of all the promises he has made to them, even eternal life, and in this faith follow Jesus as Lord and obey his teachings? Having made those commitments, we then turn to you. As a church, uh, we recognize that the primary guide and influence on these children is their parents. Um, but we also understand that raising children is difficult. And that we, as the church, are able to support parents as they navigate raising their children. And so do you this morning, we ask, would you commit to praying for these little ones and for these parents.
Why don't you come with me? Alicia, we're so glad that you're part of our family. Thank you so much for, for being here. And so, guys, Aliyah and Ivana, together with your mom, who loves you dearly, and this congregation who cares about the outcome of your lives and in your faith, we dedicate you to God and commit to steward your life in the hope that you will belong wholly to Jesus forever. Okay? Would you guys turn? We'll take a picture here real quick. I'm like, hi. My dad used to do this. And he, he used to dedicate children. And he would make the fatal flaw of holding the children, taking them from their mom or their dad, which would inevitably end in them screaming. And so I've learned from my father, don't hold the babies yourself. But Micah, we're here together with your mom, who loves you dearly. And with this congregation that cares about the outcome of your life and your faith. And so this morning we dedicate you to the Lord and commit to steward your life in the hope that you will belong wholly to Jesus forever. Amen. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Lord, we thank you for these precious gifts, these beautiful children whom we dedicate to you today. Aliyah, Ivana, And Micah, behold, children are a gift that comes from you. The fruit of the womb is indeed a reward. Lord, we pray that you would protect these wonderful gifts that you have given us. We pray in the name of Jesus that the plans of the enemy to seek, kill, and destroy these children shall not prevail. Therefore, we choose to dedicate these children to you today. And we pray that these children will live a life, a long life dedicated to you. Amen. As we stand and greet one another, I encourage you to come down, say congratulations to the family, uh, and find someone you've never met before or haven't talked to in a long time. Say hello to them, and we'll be back in just a minute. Thank you. Good morning again. For those of you who are joining us online, welcome. We're glad you're with us as well. 
We have a few announcements to go through. If this is one of your first few weeks with us, we would love to get you to know you a little better. Um, you can fill out a connection card that's in the row in front of you. Um, hopefully, if you're brand new, someone handed you a paper on your way in. If you want to fill out um, that information and bring it over to our information center, there's a gift there waiting for you. So uh, most of all, we want you to feel very welcome and that, you're, and that we are glad that you're here. Um, and if there's any way we can serve you, we would love to know that as well. Coming up this week, we're doing crazy vacation Bible school planning. As you can see from our lunar landing pod over here, there are eight days until liftoff as we head into stellar VBS. So there's a few things I want to tell you about that. If you are a leader who has committed to volunteer and you haven't gotten your T-shirt or you haven't gotten some information from me um, from a meeting, please see me after um, church. I will be over um, in the cafe for any of those questions and to make sure you get your T-shirt. If you are a family with young children and you haven't signed up yet, why? Sign up. We have one week left, um, so you can go right to our website and register directly from there or scan the QR code in your bulletin. Um, Preschoolers through sixth graders um, will be here as we take our trip to the moon. And also, if you um, committed to bringing in items for our week um, and didn't get them in by today, that's okay. Just make sure they're here um, like before Wednesday so I don't panic. Um, And you can drop them off in our... um, on our table out there, which has a name that I forget. (laughs) Um, So thank you for all of you who have been praying, for all of you who have been preparing. Um, If you have some preteens with you this week that have nothing to do and they're super bored, um, come by the church. We'll be here. I'll put them to work. So if you have some preteens who want to do some volunteering, there'll be a place for them this week. All right, moving on. This Wednesday night at 7 p.m., it is family prayer night. Um, So in place of our regular Bible study, this is the time that we gather together to pray for anything you'd like to pray for, but specifically for our families. Um, There's guided prayer. There's people who will be here if you need someone to pray with you. But it is a time of quiet reflection, a time to think about um, who God is and how um, he is with us and especially with our families. So please make that time to be here 7 p.m. on Wednesday night. Let me see. What's next? Just this. We have a couple priorities here at FDC. One of our priorities is that we love kids. We love raising them in the church. We love serving them in the church. And as we think about ways that we can thank you, that we can um, offer things to your family as well, as I think about the kids up in Junior Children's Church and Seniors Children's Church, as I think about the kids who come here to VBS that will fill these pews. And then as I think about those kids growing up over that sixth grade mark, and they want to be volunteers at VBS, and then they head up to youth group, and they become teens, and then the teens become leaders in the youth group. That is what we pray for. We pray for that we can be a place that opens our doors, but not only opens our doors, but that we can come alongside families so that as kids move through their lives, there's a place for them to be and a place for them to serve, and they know what it is to love God, to be part of his church, and to serve him in a way that's joyful um, because being a part of kids' ministry is joyful and certainly serving in 
it is as well. So thank you um, for those of you in all of the ways that you give, whether you give online or in person. Um, For those of you who pray for our ministries, we are just grateful. And this is a joyous time going into Vacation Bible School. So please um, thank you for also for all of you who have given towards that ministry. I think we've met our budget for Vacation Bible School. So thank you for all of you who have given since January when we first talked about it. Um, I need to I need to remember to follow up with that because as you give, we want to say thank you um, for making these things happen. So as we do that, we're going to continue in worship. So why don't we stand together? As we continue in worship, I'm reminded that as an American, this is Fourth of July weekend, and we celebrate the birth of our nation. As a nation, we tend to be work-oriented. We just keep pushing ahead. Carpe diem sees the day. God knew that we needed a day of rest, reflection, restoration. This is that day. Today is the day for that rest, that restoration, that reflection, and a dependence on the one, the great I am. Someone is so great that he doesn't have a name except that I exist. Right?
You're great in your love for us. You're great in your goodness to us. And so, God, we come today in response to your greatness. And we devote ourselves to you. God, I pray through this worship time that our hearts would be open. And I pray as we dig into your word today that we would hunger and thirst for you in a way that only, in a, with, a, with a hunger and a thirst that only you can create inside of us. That we would be open to your reframing of who we are. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Children, you guys are dismissed to Children's Church. And as you do, check out this video. Thank you so much for being here. If, like I said earlier, if you didn't hear me, if you, we haven't met, my name is Jason. I'm the pastor of here at Faith Discovery Church, and it's an honor that you've uh, chosen to be here this morning. I also want to say to hello to everybody joining us online. Uh, good morning. We're glad you're here. Uh, hope that you're able to not only engage the service, but engage each other, because church is best when we do it together. Church is best when we're in community. And uh, I have not been here for a couple of weeks. Uh, I was in uh, in Turkey and in Greece, journeying through some of the cities that you read about in the Bible, and that Paul visited, and that John writes to in the book of Revelation. And uh, I want to say thank you to Pastor Jerry for, for sharing for speaking the last couple of weeks. Thank you so much for doing that. I hope you were in, able to enjoy uh, his word. And But it's really good to be back. I'm really excited to be back. I'm so excited to be back. I got to rein it in a little bit. Uh, but also want to thank the lead team and all of you for making it possible for me to to uh, study and, and, and travel to learn. Uh, it's been an incredible uh, opportunity for me to travel to those cities and learn. We will, I will uh, be unpacking these in the near future and talking more about my trip. And uh, we'll even do a uh, in the, in the not so distant future, we'll do a study of the cities, uh, that, that John writes to in Revelation. And, uh, this trip was pivotal in me learning more and more about these cities and what's happening in those letters. But that's not for today. Today, we start a new series that we will talk about, uh, the ten, this summer we're going to talk about the Ten Commandments and principally the Sinai experience. Um, in the opening of to the book, The Voyage of the Dawn Trader, C.S. Lewis crafts a, a really captivating scene. If you know anything about the Chronicles of Narnia, uh, uh, as we get to this book, the, the four children are now down to really Edmund and Lucy. And they've been to Narnia, and now they're back to regular life. In fact, they're spending their summer at their cousin uh, Eustace's house, and they're quite bored about it. 
they're kind of stuck up in his attic and they're, one day they're lamenting that they're stuck with him for the summer and they're, they'd ra- much rather be someplace interesting like Narnian and they, they, they happen in their, their discussions and in their eyes, they gaze upon a picture, a picture that kind of looks like a Narnian boat out on the sea. And that really just makes them long more for it. And so they're staring at this picture and they're talking about it. And their cousin Eustace overhears them and he starts mocking them for their hope of being somewhere else. But as they, as the more they stare at this picture, the more they look into what's going on, they, they kind of fall silent. And something quite peculiar happens. They start to, it almost feels like the picture starts to move. And they can see, it's like they can see the waves starting to crash against the boat. And, and the, they, they start to hear sounds that sounds like the boat uh, slicing through the waters. And they can smell the fresh air that so many of us will smell this summer when we vacation down the shore. And, and so they, they, this, this picture is, is starting to come alive and suddenly, as it is out of nowhere, water starts to splash on them. And, and it, the water pours through the picture frame. And in a matter of moments, they're not in a bedroom. They're not in an attic. They're, they're grasping for air in the tumultuous Narnian Sea. The, the picture becomes alive to them. And now they're in the story. Perhaps without meaning to, and quite frankly, knowing a little bit about C.S. Lewis, maybe he was meaning that. He demonstrated the nature of Scripture. You see, at first glance, the Bible can just can be just a book. It can be a long book that we've heard about or that we've seen in pictures and, and in ancient text. But the more we look at the Bible... And how it tells us of lands and people long ago and far and away. The more we look at it, the more we stare into it, the more we focus on it, it comes to life and even sweeps us and brings us into the story. This summer as a church, we're going to investigate the sign, what happened at Mount Sinai, the mountain where the ancient Israelites met their God, our God, Named Yahweh. David referenced it just a a few minutes ago. Yahweh was his name. It means I am. Yahweh's name is just a sign of his existence. There's no limit to him. And so the, the, the Israelites, they come to this mountain and we're going to revisit their story as they trudge through the wilderness from a grueling past and, and into a promising future. I'm guessing that none of us I've ever been to Sinai in person. But as we read about it this summer, as we talk about it, and the people who lived there more than 3,000 years ago, who spoke a different language and lived with a radically different rhythm, had different values, different customs, had different concerns, I believe there's a good chance that some of us will feel like we're transported there. See, the differences of the Israelites from us uh, cannot erase the fundamental connection between their ancient story and ours. And so I'm hoping, I'm praying that as we walk this summer, collectively, 
you and I, and personally you and I, will be drawn into this biblical story, much like Lucy and Edmund. And we'll find that this biblical story is very much alive and that you and I are part of it. And that it's part of our story. And so as we begin to explore Sinai, and principally we'll talk about the Ten Commandments. Let's start by beginning our reading from Exodus chapter 19. We'll do a lot of reading from Exodus 19 today, um, just to let you know. But we'll start with verses 1 and 2. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. After they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. And so to set the stage, to give you a kind of background of what's happening here, there's about 600,000 people have left have been freed, have left Egypt and the Egyptian oppression. And they've been out in the desert for about two months, somewhere between 45 to 60 days. And uh, the Exodus, the, by the way, just to, uh, if you wanted to read, and I encourage you to read the book of Exodus, but the Exodus of the Israelites from Egypt begins in, in chapter 12, Exodus 12. And they're headed out from Egypt towards a promised land that none of them have ever been to. It's a promised land. It's a land called Canaan. And uh, Egypt to Canaan, as we know it now, is about 250 miles. If they had walked a direct path, it should have taken them less than two weeks. But that was not God's intent. You know, David referenced earlier as he was leading worship at the end how sometimes we can be really task-oriented as, uh, as Americans. We want to get there. I, tra- like I said, I traveled to, to Europe uh, these past couple of weeks, and the flight was, the, long, the major part of the flight each way was about ten and a half hours. And it was ten and a half hours of misery. I could tell you that that ten and a half hours, I longed to get where we were going. I wanted that flight to be over. I can understand the the Israelites walking through the desert and wanting to get to Canaan. But God had other uh, uh, plans in store. And so he brings them not first to Canaan, their promised land, but first to Sinai, where they will encounter God. When God leads us, when we come to faith, when we come to uh, realize who God is in our lives, there will be times where he will take us on journeys. And that journey won't always be direct to where we want to go. But he will do it and lead us in such a way so that we will learn to encounter him. And so the Israelites are going on this journey. And for two months they walk and they get to this mountain. Um, we see in Exodus 13:21 that God led them using a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and he leads them into the Sinai Desert. Now, just an aside, 
Sometimes we re- I, I can read this text and I can see that God led them with a very tangible expression of his presence. They saw a cloud in the daytime and they saw a fire at night. And there can be a sense that sometimes when I struggle to know where God's leading me, it's like, why can't he just, why can't he show up and be obvious to me like that? You ever been there wondering what's the next step? And you're like, God, where am I going? And you read this and you're like, well, it was easy for them. This isn't part of the Sinai experience thing, but let me just speak to that for a second. One of the differences between the experience of the Israelites, one of the reasons that they had to have a tangible expression of God's presence that they could see was they had not yet understood, they had not experienced the presence of God in them. Through the work, life, death, resurrection, ascension, and promise of Jesus, we have the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. And so we don't have to look to the skies to see some kind of direction. God's presence dwells in you, lives in you. No outside expression needs to happen. Now, sometimes that's difficult, and you have to learn the voice of that. There's a learning, there's an understanding of learning the voice of God to us as we seek him and as he directs us. But there's no need for an outside expression because the expression is part of who we are. That's a gift of God. Jesus said, I'm going to send the gift. The gift is the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit dwells in us. So, uh, but that's just a side. In the 60 days between leaving Egypt and arriving at Mount Sinai, the Israelites experienced the following. And those of you who grew up in Sunday school or in kids' church, you may have heard some of these. Some of you have never had a church experience or read the Bible, and you don't know this. But uh, if you've seen movies like the, the Prince of Egypt or those kinds of things, these things will f- seem familiar to you. The first thing we read about is in Exodus 13. It's the crossing of the Red Sea. As Pharaoh and the army of Egypt is chasing them, the uh, Israelites are grumbling, and they uh, even express a desire to go back to slavery. And Moses communes with, uh, talks with God, and God tells him to walk out into the ocean, sticks his staff out of the ocean, and the Red Sea parts, and, and Israel walks through. They've experienced this. The first thing we see, read about them, is they see that God will provide protection in the wilderness. After protection, they walk to the, they, they go three days without water in the desert. And they begin to question their, uh, Moses' decision. By the way, three days without water in the desert will cause you to question whether you've made the right decision. And they come, across, come upon a place called Mara. And they find water and the water is bitter. Bitter water, no matter how thirsty you are, isn't good for you. But God, makes the water drinkable, and they experience provision in the wilderness. But they're hungry. We find in Exodus 16 that God provides manna and quail for them to eat. In Exodus 17, they're thirsty again, and God draws water from a rock. In Exodus, later in Exodus 17, um, they, they are attacked by a, a, a nation called the Amalekites. And they're at war, and you may have heard this story. As long as Moses' arms are up, they win. If his arms fall, they lose. And so Aaron and Hur lift his arms, and they defeat the Amalekites. And so they come to Mount Sinai, a place they've never seen before. 
They arrive, when they arrive there, they arrive as a nation of grumblers. A people who have seen God repeatedly deliver them and provide them for them, but there are people who do not fully grasp the power of God and, he, and the purpose that he has for them. They're grumblers. But there's one of them has been there before. See, for Moses, this isn't the first time he's been at Sinai. Moses' arrival at Mount Sinai is a return. He's been there before. Do you know the last time he was there? The account is found in Exodus 3. And it wasn't called, and the mountain was named with a different name. It wasn't called Sinai in Exodus 3. It's called Hareb. But it's the same mountain, and it's the location of Moses' encounter with God at the burning bush. Moses comes to Sinai with with a sense of familiarity. He's returning to this place of revelation. You see, at Mount Mount Harab, when he meets the burning bush, it's the first time in recorded history we see God's name uh, referenced. Moses approaches the burning bush and God starts to talk to him. And Moses receives this revelation from God. And the revelation from God that Moses receives is available to all of us because it's about relationship with God. When God engages Moses at Harab, he tells him his name and he gives him a purpose. He says, my name is Yahweh. I am. And he says, and go back to Egypt, because you're going to lead my people out of Egypt. And Moses, much like the Israelites will later, immediately starts reflecting on his restrictions. I can't do that because I stutter. I can't lead those people. But in that moment, God in his grace and in his mercy says to Moses, go, I'll provide help for you. I'll even give you a voice. Through my power, you'll lead. And so he, he learns that God will provide above his weaknesses. And so as he arrives, as we get to the time where he's leading the Israelites back to Sinai, can you imagine what he might be thinking? You see, it was there that he met Yahweh, and it's here that the people he's leading will have the same opportunity. Let's continue reading from Exodus 19, starting at verse 3. The Lord, then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt, and how I have carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you will obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be a king for you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So Moses went back and summoned the elders and the people, uh, elders of the people, and set before them all the words the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, "We will do everything the Lord has said." So Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. The Lord says to Moses, I'm going to come to you on a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. Then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. We're going to skip down to verse 16 next. On the evening of the third day, there was thunder and lightning 
With a thick cloud over the mountain and a very loud trumpet blast, everyone in the camp trembled. Then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it in fire. The smoke billowed up like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke, and the voice of God answered him. The Lord descended on top of Mount Sinai and called to Moses on top of the mountain. Moses must have been so excited. It was happening. His people were going to experience what he had experienced. He had, you can imagine, he must have talked about the burning bush. Listen, I was in the desert one day, just out of nowhere, just minding my sheep, nothing. He had spent 18 years after fleeing from Egypt. He's on a regular day just guarding the sheep that aren't his. And out of nowhere, on a normal day, God appears. And he sees this bush. It's not being consumed by the fire. Can you imagine if you had that experience and God started talking to you out of a a bush that's on fire? How many people you would talk to about that story? First of all, the first couple people you probably wouldn't tell. That's weird. I don't know if I'm telling anybody. They might think bad things about me. Might think I ate bad pizza or something. But over time, as he starts to see God do all the things he said God was going to do, he must have talked about it. But now he's seeing them, seeing them experience it. He's bringing them to the place of revelation. He must have been so excited for his people. You, you're not going to believe what it's like when we get there. It's like taking a person to Disney World, though, and you've been there and they haven't. You're not going to believe. It's amazing. He must have been so anticipatorily thinking about what could happen. They were going to experience the revelation of a relationship with God. But we skip to Exodus 20. Verse 18, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us, speak to us yourself and we will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. Moses said to the people, whoa, whoa, don't be afraid. God has come to test you so that the fear of God will be with you and to keep you from sinning. But the people remained at a distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God God was. The the grumbling Israelites were so focused on their fear, on their restrictions, that they, uh, and they didn't have a previous, the previous experience that Moses had. He was returning to this place of revelation. He was focused on the revelation that comes from a relationship with Yahweh. When, we fo- when you focus on your disappointments, when you focus on things that hinder your expectations, when we focus on our restrictions, we deny ourselves the opportunity to receive a revelation from God. They were so focused on what they wanted and what they didn't want and how their expectations weren't being met 
that they chose not to meet with God when they had the opportunity. God calls all of Israel up on the mountain, and they're so scared that they say, Moses, you go for me. It's not the only time in Scripture that we see God inviting. It's not the only time in Scripture where people that are given an opportunity to respond or not. In Revelation chapter three, uh, chapter three, verse twenty, John writes. He's writing to a bunch of different churches. And he's telling them the words of Jesus. And in chapter 3, verse 20, it says, uh, John writes, Jesus says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. I'll eat with that person and they with me. John wrote those words to the, peop- uh, to the people in the church of a town co- or a city called Laodicea. Jesus is talking, he's he's saying, Jesus is talking to his people, people he loves, people he desires to be in relationship with. Notice that invitation. Let's leave that up there, please. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, what will happen? I'll come in and I'll eat with that person. I'm going to sit down at a table. And share food. You know what happens over the table? You share life. You talk about your stories. You get to know each other. Food is wonderful for bringing community together. It's this incredible opportunity to talk. And it takes time, especially in... in, in Jewish tradition, in first century Palestine, to have eaten together would take time. We see some of this in European cultures today. I haven't been to Spain, but I hear lunchtime in Spain takes a long time. In fact, it takes so long and you get so tired after eating and sharing that you need to take a nap. Because it's not just about the consumption of food. It's about the experience of sharing things together. And that's what Jesus is inviting people to in Revelation chapter 3. Let's share life together. I want to know you. The creator of the universe wants to know us. Invites us in. He invites us to the mountain. And sometimes we're so focused on the things that distract us that we miss the invitation to commune with God. I visited Laodicea last week, and as I learned about the city and the people who lived there, the things they did and the things they were known for, it changed the way I understood the letter that John wrote. What I now know, what I'm learning is this letter 
we look at Revelation as a whole big book, and for some of us, it's quite scary. It's got incredible themes. It's got weird things about it that we don't understand. People have told us all different things that these things mean. But at the beginning of this book, there's letters to seven churches. And what that would have happened is they would have passed this letter around. And they, Laodicea is in this valley. And uh, you can actually, it's, it's, it's in between Colossae, which we would know uh, the Colossians live there, the book of Colossians. So you can see Colossians from Laodicea, and you can see Herapolis. Hermopolis was another city just across the valley. And these three cities, you can see all three of these places. And so people would have known what's going on in Laodicea. It was a very rich city. It was the Beverly Hills of ancient Roman culture. In fact, it was the place that produced the linens that the Roman emperor would wear. The clothes that Caesar would wear came from Laodicea. They were known for their nice stuff. They were so wealthy that uh, in the first century, an earthquake destroys the city. It levels it. And they say to Rome, we don't need your money. Rome offers to give them money to rebuild. They say, no, we don't need your money. We'll rebuild ourselves. It's a city that's very wealthy. But the letter, having visited some of these cities, I realize now I'm learning how intimate and personal the letter speaks directly to their way of life. You know what it's like? It's like being invited to dinner with somebody. Like Jesus is standing inviting them to dinner and then he talks very intimately to each city about their life. Jesus knows us intimately and wants to share life with us. John writes to them about Jesus in, in an extremely insightful way and tells them that Jesus is wanting to engage and commune with them. And it was an unbelievable change in the way the world would have understood deities especially the Gentiles of the group. God wants to eat with us. God comes to us. God invites us in. It was a world of known deities. There were tons of statues and gods that were worshipped, and you went to them, and you sacrificed to them, and here's what would happen. Uh, You would buy things for them, and you would take them to the temple. And you would leave the sacrifice for the, for the temple. And the temple would then sell that to the vendor. And the vendor would sell it to the next person who would then take it back to the temple. Who would, and that's how the money grew. Because you'd bring a little statuette to the God and leave it there. And they'd sell the statuette to the person to sell it right back to you. You might buy later in the day the thing you sacrificed in, to the God in the morning. And in the middle of this world where it's all about commerce and, and goods and money and you giving up and you giving up and you giving up and you don't know anything, Jesus comes and changes the way you can think of a deity because he says, I want to come to your house and commune with you and get to know you and to be present with you and talk to you about the intimate things in your life. And so we come with this invitation. But will we miss the invitation because we're so distracted by the things around us?
Maybe there are faults. Maybe there are things that we don't think we're good enough in. Maybe there are comparison games where we don't think we are better, as good as someone else. Or maybe we think we're unworthy. Or maybe we think we're not capable enough. Or maybe we think someone's better than us. If, you've, if you think any of those things, you're not alone. You've, we've just described exactly what the Israelites were thinking. God's been through this before. He's heard all of the reasons someone's not capable of engaging and communing with him. And he's given answers for all of them. They've all been provided. There is nothing you can do to separate you from the love that is in Christ Jesus. I told you I came back ready. And so, as a church... We begin to explore the Ten Commandments, and we, as we investigate the Sinai experience, let me encourage you to where you come to a place of expectation, a place where you expect the revelation of a relationship with God. A place where you let go of all of the things that make you not good enough or not special enough or not holy enough or not well-behaved enough to keep you from getting to know Yahweh. Put those things aside and come with an expectation that God, that you don't just learn about God, but that you get to relation, relate with God in an intimate, special way this summer. Let me encourage you to come to a place like Lucy and Edwin, where the scriptures come alive. This morning, as we make our way to communion, I challenge each of you individually and I challenge us as a church collectively to refocus our attention away from the restrictions that deny us the opportunity so that we can experience a revelation and relationship with God. Would you pray with me? Jesus. Jesus. God, it was a regular day for Moses when you engaged him on a mountain. He didn't expect it. He didn't wake up thinking that was going to happen. God, in our regular day, would you reveal yourself to us? God, and I pray that we would open the door, that we would come expecting that you would reveal yourself to us. As we come to the table today, as we come to the communion table, we come first in obedience because you said to do it. Secondly, we come expecting a revelation of your presence as we could meet you at the table. In your name we pray. Amen. I'm going to invite the elders to come. And as they do, if you're new with us, we share communion just about every week. And when we do, what we do is we invite everyone to come to the center aisle, come down, receive the elements, and then 
make your way back to your chair. We'll, we'll share them together. But I invite you to stand and make your way forward. If you're not able to come down, we will have someone bring elements to you. And you are by no means have to do this. This is an open communion. But we invite you to join us. Scripture teaches us that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he sat around the table with his disciples. And he took the bread and he broke it and he blessed it and he told them that this is my body, which is broken for you. When you share this meal, remember me. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we remember you. We request a revelation of relationship with you. As we come to the table, God, I pray that we would meet you. In your name we pray. Would you take the bread? It says, in the same way after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do this whenever you drink of it in remembrance of me. Jesus, I thank you that you made a way, that you have covered every restriction, every hindrance. And there's nothing that we can't accomplish with your power. And so, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to what you've called us into. And like the Israelites of old who saw a cloud and a pillar of fire, we would unquestionably know your presence and your direction in our lives. Amen. Would you take the cup? Would you stand this morning as I offer today's benediction? Most of you are already standing. That's good. Thank you. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. God, I pray for an experience of revelation. God, I pray that you would... that, as, that we would respond to your invitation to come into your presence. That we would not be aware of all the things that we think exclude us. But because of your grace, that we would be aware that we are welcome. And that you, we would come in and that you would reveal you, who you are to us. In your name we pray. Amen. Have a great week. We'll see you next Sunday.